Hi, I'm Bernard Nomberg with the Nomberg Law Firm in Birmingham, Alabama. Each month, Brother David and I host Work Comp Today. It's our live YouTube show where we discuss the current topics and issues and news of the month involving independent contractors, employees, and employers. Each month, we have a guest, a colleague from somewhere in the country. This month, Virginia lawyer George Townsend is our guest. We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Work Comp Today. If you like this episode of Work Comp Today and want to hear future episodes, please consider subscribing to our channel. We put these episodes out each month about a week to 10 days after they're live on YouTube. Also, it would really help us out if you would consider giving us a five-star review and rating, and we would sure appreciate it. Thank you again for tuning in to Work Comp Today. Welcome, everybody. It's four o'clock central. It is that time of the month for Work Comp today where Dave and I and one of our colleagues, one of our buddies, we get together and we talk about what's important, what's going on in the world of independent contractors, employers, and employees. Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. I appreciate you making some time. And we've got our buddy George Townsend out of Virginia. George, thank you for making some time for us today. We're looking forward to our conversation with you. I'm just very happy to be here. Well, Dave, we each month we try to bring on a colleague or a friend from different parts of the country, and we are blessed to have the current president of the organization, the national organization that we so proudly belong to. Share a little bit about Will and introduce George, and then we will get started. For sure. Glad to have George Townsend with us today. George uh, practices <coughs> work comp law uh, throughout the state of Virginia. And he is a uh, member of WILG. And not only is he a member, but he is the, uh, I guess, president-elect of, of WILG. Is that right, George? Yes. Okay, so, yes. Yeah, so he's worked his way up the officer rotation in a leader, leadership role. And WILG is a national organization comprised of work comp lawyers throughout the country. And with that, I'm not going to say too much more about it because I know George will do a better job than I can. So, George, we'll turn it over to you. You talk a little bit about, introduce, uh, tell us about yourself, please, uh, and then tell us a little bit about uh, the organization as well. Well, I've been practicing uh, workers' comp and representing injured workers for almost 30 years now. Um, it's the only uh, kind of law that I've practiced I actually clerked at our Workers' Compensation Commission while I was in law school, so I walked out of uh, law school graduation knowing how to try a workers' comp case in Virginia, which was a great asset. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's really a passion of mine representing injured workers, uh, insurance companies, and big employers. They're they they're really just a bunch of bullies trying to push people around. And uh, I don't like bullies. So, um, and as president-elect of Willick, uh, you know, that's a great honor. It's a fantastic organization. Um, it has many benefits and resources 
that uh, they offer to lawyers and law firms. Um, and uh, it's just a fantastic group of about uh, 1,000, 1,100 attorneys right now. Uh, and it's just a brain trust that if you encounter something that you've never seen before, you throw it out on the listserv and you'll get 10 responses about how to handle it. That is absolutely the truth. That's one of the benefits, I think, about this organization. And George, we appreciate your leadership already and looking forward to this next year being so productive. Well, fellas, as we do each month, let's get into the articles. They're from all over the country. They're current information, current issues and topics that are, again, impacting independent contractors, employers, and employees. The first one I think is pretty timely, whether you are an NBA fan or not. It comes from the professional sports ranks, the NBA. Phoenix Suns already preparing for life without injured Chris Paul. Chris Paul, for those who don't know, is a star player for the Phoenix Suns, and he was injured recently in a game. He hurt his thumb in a game. What I don't know is in what state that this occurred. I don't know if it was home in Arizona or in Houston where the Rockets play, and sometimes that makes a big difference. But Dave, I want to start with you. We don't have professional athletics uh, in Alabama per se. We have minor league um, uh, baseball and now about to have some football, but we don't have on the, on the major league levels. I don't know if that really matters for this discussion, but you have a professional athlete. What you don't think about is who covers their bills, who pays for the medical care, who pays for the time that they're off and those things. If this were to happen in Alabama, what, what do you think takes place? Who pays for it? Yeah. So whether he's a, you know, professional athlete or he's a, a guy working, uh, working at a factory, uh, if he gets hurt, what's he, what's he need, right? He needs medical treatment. So that's first and foremost is just getting the medical treatment. And, and uh, I would imagine as an NBA player, he's got access to the, the best medical treatment, best medical facility uh, and physicians around to get him back to work uh, as quickly as possible so that he can get back playing at an all-star level. Um, so medical treatment uh, is, is first and foremost. Um, he will continue with, I would imagine that he will continue to get paid his uh, very, uh, uh, very large salary as well while he's uh, off work recovering. So he shouldn't take a hit there. You know, one thing I thought about that he has that that most employees probably in Virginia and Alabama don't have, he has a collective bargaining agreement, a union that spells out what happens. And I'm sure those terms uh, address these concerns that we're talking about. But George, I want to ask you, if this happens in Virginia and his thumb does not heal to the place or to recover to where he can go back being the all-star guard that he is, what would a Virginia employer say if they can't and don't want him back on their roster any longer? Well, in Virginia, uh, workers' comp does not protect your job at all. Uh, they don't have to keep you. They don't have to bring you back. Um, interesting, uh, the Washington Commanders mm -hmm. are a Virginia corporation, and so all their players are Virginia employees and are covered under the Virginia Workers' Compensation Act. 
and you have to be certified by the Players Association to be able to represent them. Wow. And that's highly uh, sought, but rarely given. Yeah. And so um, we see that and read opinions about these, uh, you know, sports stars. Um, if they did lose their salary or their their payment, because sometimes uh, they get paid by game and you have to be, you know, I, I'm sure it is in the the agreement that, you know, if you're on the injured reserve list, you still get paid. But um, we have a maximum compensation rate here in Virginia. We pay two thirds of the annual pay, but uh, we wouldn't come close to touching two thirds of their salaries. (laughs) David, what's it in Alabama? What's the max rate going right now in Alabama? Is it like 950 or so? Just under a thousand now, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Our, ours is about 1200 right now. <laughs> I don't so. mean to make fun, but these, you know, professional athletes uh, salaries are just so out, out of this world compared mm-hmm. to the average Joe and Jane. It, it, there's no comparison. Right. Um, those players are really fighting over the lifetime medical benefits. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, you see them tear up knees and stuff and then, you know, down the road, 10 or 20 years from now, you know, they're going to need knee replacements. And, you know, they want all that covered. Yeah, that's and we've covered that a little bit. That that could take a whole show, frankly, about the fights of professional athletes for their medical care going forward. But let's put a let's put a pause in the Chris Paul article. Let's move on to the second one. And the title is data shows decrease in U.S. occupational fatalities. And the 2020 numbers that came out, it shows this is the lowest, I think, since uh, 2013. And that's a move in the right direction. George, again, sticking in, in with Virginia in mind, is that a trend that you're aware of in Virginia as well? Or is Virginia not showing what the trend is for fatalities annually? No, I, I've seen that a lot. We're, we're a, a big advertising uh advertiser we're not a big firm but we put a lot into advertising and uh, all over the state and definitely have seen in the last 25 years a decrease in catastrophic injuries and fatalities and i think it's just you know uh the larger employers put so much uh, emphasis on safety and uh, discipline those. And the workplace has just become so much safer, you know, with technology and everything. And so we would often see, you know, a handful of fatality cases and another handful of uh, catastrophic injuries every year. And now maybe one a year, COVID changed that a little bit. We're going to talk about COVID here in a little bit too. You know, I have probably four or five death cases now uh, that are COVID related, but they're going to, you know, dissipate. You know, it's also, I, I agree with what all you say, just said about the reasons for the decrease in the fatalities. But I think you both would agree with me that not only yourselves and your firms, but the work of many members of our organization of WILD 
the hard work and the success in the cases that they have pursued in the past based on these fatalities stands notice to these companies who try to skate by not doing the right things for their workers. So I don't I never want to discount the hard work and the excellent work that lawyers do on the behalf of the families uh, who are survivors. So I wanted to make sure that I, we brought that up as well. David, is your, are you also seeing, I know I am, I echo what George said, we don't see nearly as many fatalities or catastrophic cases. And again, that may be partly pandemic influenced, but they're still there. I know that. No, no. Yeah, that's it's wonderful news about the decrease in, in, in fatalities. And I am curious to see if that is the result of the pandemic, meaning you know less people uh, working in facilities in 2020 and part of 2021. So it'll be interesting to see what those uh, the next numbers reflect, if there's still a decrease or if that changes. Well, fellas, let's move on to our third article. And I want to welcome anybody who's watching us live or you may watch us later. This is our monthly Work Comp Today YouTube program where Dave and I from the Nomberg Law Firm in Birmingham, Alabama, invite a colleague, a guest, a friend of ours who also practices somewhere in the United States who does the same kind of work that we do. And our buddy, our friend George Townsend is with us out of Virginia. And we're going to hit our third topic for today, a third um, article. COVID-19 workplace liability may include work comp and torts. And this was, this is a unique set of circumstances. It's a unique fact pattern. Dave, I'm going to let you lead us off here that okay. it's coming out of California. So we got to make sure that we, we make sure that we acknowledge that, <laughs> but tell us, share a little bit about this unique fact pattern in lawsuit. Yeah. So in California, the employee was allowed to bring a wrongful death claim against her employer for the death of her husband, but her husband did not work for the company. The employee alleged that her company's COVID-19 prevention measures were inadequate, causing her to be exposed and infected at work. And then she unknowingly exposed her husband to COVID-19. He contracted it from her and then he died. So she gets COVID at work, comes home, infects her husband, and he dies. And then she turns around and sues her employer for wrongful death. Very interesting. It, it is, George. The employee alleged that her company's COVID-19 prevention measures were inadequate, causing her to be exposed. And as we all know for these cases, tracing it back to the origin, the expose, the original exposure, that's so very difficult, even for the best of medical um, observations and, and scientific minds who look at these cases. How do you think this, I'm asking you to kind of have the crystal ball here. How does this play out to be a successful case for this, this woman in California? Well, putting on my Swami hat and gazing into that crystal ball, yeah. I would say she's fortunate to be in California where uh, a lot of things are much more liberal, including their uh, judicial system. Um, it would not fly in Virginia, I don't think. Um, you know, she would have a hard time in Virginia uh, without our presumption proving that she 
got sick from work. You know, it's such a high standard in Virginia. You have to prove uh, by clear and convincing evidence, not only that you got it from work, but you didn't get it anywhere else, like standing in line at the food line or something. And so that's almost an impossible uh, standard to, to get over. Um, if, if you will, I'll tell you something. In Virginia, when COVID hit, my wife, she is a respiratory therapist and she treats, you know, for the last two years, you know, COVID patients. And I told her when, it, when things started shutting down, I said, you can go two places. You can go to work and you can come home and I will take care of everything outside of the house, all the errands, everything, shopping, everything. So that if you got it and I don't have it, the only place you could get it is work. And so, um, yeah, it's, and in Virginia, I don't see, you know, bringing the wrongful death action, you know, I don't think it would, you know, withstand the demure. Yeah, David, if this is brought in Alabama, and even if you have some medical testimony giving the opinions that there's a connection there, do you, do you really think it's going to survive summary judgment on a circuit court level these days? Um, that's tough. Yeah, it's a tough case to win in Alabama. They're uh, based on uh, some of the laws that were passed uh, last year. I don't just a tough case to win. George, this will come of no surprise to you, but Alabama does not have a presumption <laughs> for anyone or anything. Right. So I, I know that, that a lot of people are going to be monitoring this case, but California does have the most, uh, I, I don't want to use the word liberal, but they have the widest approach to these cases really of acceptance, I think, of anybody in any, any state in the country. So we'll see what comes out of there. But uh, it's a tough case. It really, yeah. really is. Well, fellas, let's move on to our number four article for this week or this month. Mid-state man recovering after being run over by customer at job. And I suspect, George, just like Dave, I think we've all had similar not exact fact patterns like this, but it sure is an interesting set of facts to try to, to show a liability here. George, what type of cases, I guess let's go over the facts a little bit and then let's talk about what type of cases can, can ultimately maybe spin from this besides work coming. Well, um, in this case, uh, there was an employee that was, um, uh, checking off uh, you know, co-workers to make sure that everything was proper. And apparently an argument uh, ensued and one of the employees tried to just drive away and the injured worker tried to stop them and got run over. And um, in Virginia, the sole remedy would be workers' comp he would not be able to bring an action at law, a tort action against his coworker. He could only uh, file for the worker's comp. And, and, and we see that happen a lot. 
um, believe it or not, uh, because, um, you know, it often happens two people backing out of their parking spaces at the same time. Mm-hmm. Bam. Uh, so it's it's not as rare as you think. But to get run over, yeah. that's a little extreme. Let me change some facts on you, Dave, a little bit, as we do in most of these articles. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's not a coworker. Let's say it's a client or a customer who works for a completely different company. And that driver got mad because they were now going to be late to their next pickup or delivery. So they tried to speed away, not filling out the proper paperwork that was being asked by the eventual injured worker. In Alabama, do you potentially have third party claims against that driver and or their company that they work for? Yeah. If the uh, other driver, uh, did not work for uh, the same company, worked, had a different employer, then the injured worker could sue uh, that person or their company for negligence. Um, so that so the injured worker would have a work comp claim. They would have a third party case or a case for negli- negligence against the uh, uh, other driver. And in this case that happened in uh, Pennsylvania that we're talking about, the uh, the uh, the driver that, that ran over this em- employee, uh, she, the driver was also charged with uh, uh, criminal charges, yeah. uh, two felony counts of aggravated assault and a misdemeanor charge of recklessly endangering another person. So uh, she's going to be charged criminal. She is charged criminally as well for her behavior. You know, uh, there's got to be a, uh, a security video, a camera that must have caught this. Um, just a very sad situation. Hopefully there'll be some type of uh, medical recovery by this person, but it really just seems kind of, kind of bad right now. Well, guys, other- I, I, I can foresee uh, his claim being denied for like a safety rule violation, mm-hmm. willful misconduct. You know, he probably has had training, you know, you don't try and stop the vehicle with your body. So again, that's, and that's where the video may tilt that one way or, or another right. for sure. Right. All right, fellas, let's move on to number five, David's favorite restaurant, not even a second place does Chipotle drug test its employees. And as we were talking about this a little bit beforehand, I think I'm more concerned whether or not they're, they're washing their hands while they're on the serving the meals. But I shouldn't do that. That's just bad of me. But anyway, fellas, let's talk about does Chipotle drug test, does the the big companies, do they drug test their employees before they hire them, after they hire them, after they get hurt on the job? Before we get into this, George, I want to talk about Virginia for two minutes about this. Is it mandatory? Is it state required that potential new employers, do they do drug tests before or after the offer? It is not required. There are some employers that do that. Um, I think there's probably some occupations. uh, And if you have a federal contract, you know, you're a construction company that's doing governmental uh, work. uh, I think that is required. But the, you know, mom and dad store on the corner, they don't have to and typically don't anymore. Even the, the Walmarts and the Targets, I never see uh, 
anything about a pre-employment drug test. But as soon as they get hurt, that's the first thing that has to happen is getting a drug test. Part of the protocol in Virginia after someone gets hurt on the job that they're drug screened within, what, 24, 36 hours after the event? Um, It's usually almost immediately. I mean, the first thing they do is they put them in a car and take them down to the Med Express for a urinalysis. And then um, if, if it's a serious injury and like the rescue squad comes, then they just tell the hospital to, to make it happen. Well, Dave, to the extent that you can trust a Reddit thread, <laughs> I want to make sure we, we preface that. It appears that a national employer like Chipotle they don't drug screen before they hire you. And I don't know, maybe it's a, a, a savings on the front end, but it certainly seems like it's a, a big call, big waste of money on the back end if they end up hiring people who are habitual drug users. Well, you, you know, you, you got to also consider the fact that, you know, recreational marijuana is legal now in so many states. And if that drug use is not impacting a Chipotle worker's uh, productivity, uh, their job performance, then what does it matter? Um, I think that's one of the things that these companies are taking into consideration. Obviously, if they are operating heavy machinery, right, working at uh, heights and construction areas. That's, that's, that's a completely different thing. Um, but yeah, but as soon as they get hurt at work, yeah, they're going to be tested. And let's take this, yeah. let's take this scenario one more step for just, just for a minute. You get hurt at the job working for Chipotle, you get drug screened and it comes back positive, not for marijuana, but for some illegal substances. In Alabama, David, potentially, how does that impact your claim, your work comp claim? Um, well, if you test positive uh, for an illegal drug, uh, for alcohol, um, then the burden is on the employer to show that that was the cause or that contributed to the injury. It's not the injury, excuse me, to the accident. The event, yeah. um, and if the employer determines that it did contribute to the uh, accident, then the employer is still responsible for paying for medical benefits related to the accident, um, but there'll be no compensation paid to the injured worker. Yeah. George, what about in Virginia? Does, is there a similar impact or is it different? Uh, it's it's different. Um, in Virginia, there is a presumption that if you test positive that you were intoxicated at the time of the accident and it is the cause of the accident. Mm-hmm. Now, that's rebuttable. And usually it just takes the uh, injured worker to say, yeah, I had marijuana in my system because, you know, I do it in the evenings when I'm not working and I wasn't intoxicated at the time. And, you know, you call the the supervisors and everything. And it's like, well, was he intoxicated? And if they try and say, well, I don't know. I said, well, you know, if he was, would you have let him do what he was doing? You know, and you kind of put it back on them that way. So uh, in Virginia though, the drug test has to be uh, 
analyzed by a certain certified lab. That any lab that has a certain certification, it's about six or eight letters. I'm not sure what it is off the top of my head, but um, I can often keep those drug tests out because of, uh, you know, they, they didn't have the proper lab certification. Mm -hmm. The, um, yeah, it's all, all just like any of these work comp cases where there's a question about compensability that's all fact specific it all comes yep. down to, to who said and saw and did what and fellas let's move on to our last article of this month i hate to chuckle again but florida teachers fall after his leg went to sleep it was not considered compensable sustained a broken left femur when he lost his balance and fell after his leg had gone to sleep while he'd been sitting at his desk and rose to assist a student. David, are you surprised at all at this ruling or would you have found this to be compensable? Um, I, you know, you really, I can't argue with the uh, Florida uh, court, Florida appellate's court rationale here, uh, which was this. Um, they said that, you know, clearly the accident occurred in the course of his employment, mm -hmm. but um, that's not enough to get work comp benefits uh, in Florida and, and or in Alabama, um, where, where the case turned uh, in the favor of the employer and against the employee was that the court held this could have occurred uh, anywhere, essentially. Mm -hmm that it wasn't specific to his employment. Um, I'm reading here, it could have been triggered at any time by normal everyday movement outside of work. So he failed, the employee failed to show that the risk to his leg falling asleep arose from his employment. Idiopathic conditions are not recognized in, in Alabama and I suspect George, does Virginia follow the same line of, of thought? Yes. Uh, the only saving factor would be if um, the configuration of the classroom and he fell and uh, hit his head, you know, you could say, well, look, you know, yes, he would have fallen anywhere, but he only got hurt because he was, you know, in this specific area. Um, that's what we try and do in Virginia for those idiopathic falls. It's, you gotta, in order to find some compensability, you've got to be able to show the uniqueness, unique qualities about the employment setting, the environment, the job responsibilities. Not that this could have occurred while at a mall or in your front yard or wherever. Right. Now, that's not to take out of consideration working from home cases that we've talked about. That's not this scenario. This is clearly in the brick and mortar school when this occurred. But interesting. Go ahead, George. I have um, kind of a lighthearted example. And this is a real case that I had. Um, a woman was working in a school and it was after hours and she was one of only a couple of people there and she's pushing this cart down a hall and there's video of this. And all of a sudden, she is thrown to the side like she's being tackled. 
And our theory of the case was the school was haunted and she got injured by a ghost. Because <laughs> it was on video. Uh -huh. It wasn't like she just stumbled to the side. Uh -huh. She was thrown against the wall. And, you know, there it is on video. And I just looked at the defense attorney and said, well, how do you explain it? You know, it's ghosts. And um, it was convincing enough that we settled the case. Wow. That's some lawyering right there, my friend. That's awesome. Wow. <laughs> Sometimes you got to think outside the box, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Well, fellas, that's, that concludes our six articles of current topics, of current news. As we do the last part of our show, we want to do some comparisons about the Alabama system, the Work Comp Act, and the pr processes and procedures, how we do things to help our clients with our guest, Virginia. So George, the first one, and I want you to, you to take the lead on this one and, and Dave will take the second one. How do lawyers get paid in Virginia for representing clients in work comp matters? Um, it's on a contingency basis. Um, we get a percentage of what we uh, get for our clients. Um, if we go to a hearing, and we win, then the workers' comp judge, we call them deputy commissioners, they decide what a fair fee for our services is. If we do not prevail at the hearing, we don't get paid. And if we work out a settlement of the whole claim, we typically get 20%, unless it's a large settlement, and we get 20% of the first $500,000 15% of the next 500,000 and 10% of anything over a million. And so we don't get paid out of uh, Medicare set asides. Um, that's free money. Um, and so it's, uh, it's limited. Um, and that is, those fees are set by the commission uh, and they have the authority uh, to uh, regulate all attorney's fees but they only do it for claimants attorneys. They, they say that all fees will be, you know, uh, approved by the commission. It doesn't say just claimants, but that's all that they do is claimants. So when you get a, an order approving or finalizing your settlement, is that also written in there what your fee will be? Yes. It's an order saying, you know, $10,000 uh, in a fee and $625 in cost will be paid directly to George Townsend. And my check comes straight to me and my client's check goes straight to her. Wow. And last question about that. I don't know if Dave has questions, but do you have to keep your time? Or do you have to prove your, your work you've done? If, if there is a dispute, like a client uh, fires one attorney and then comes to me and they put a lien against a fee, excuse me, <coughs> then um, the commission will often, if we can't work out an agreement, we'll just say, okay, just tell us how much time you put into it each, and then they will try and come up with something, but they really don't like to do that. And I can't remember uh, the last time I really had a big fight over a fee. Sure, sure. Well, Dave, I know that you're depressed hearing George's, how he gets paid in Virginia. So share the reality about how we get paid in our cases. Um, 
Well, like Virginia, uh, Alabama is a contingency fee-based contract. Uh, unlike Virginia, uh, we are capped, George, at 15%. So our fee never exceeds 15%. Um, we we uh, can, we are allowed to take a uh, fee on medical. We don't take a fee on what's in the MSA, though. Uh, but we can take a fee on medical. There's no prohibition on, on taking a fee on medical, but it's capped at 15%. It, we do have to be court. We do have to be approved. If we follow a lawsuit. We do have to be approved uh, to be the representative of the injured worker and our fee is supposed to be approved uh, by the court. Right. When I started, our fees were 15% and about five years in, they started moving up to 20. And for the last, you know, 25 years, we've been trying to push them up to 25%. And, you know, they just say no. And so and be careful. It may, if you get to 25%, you may invite more competition too. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> All right, Dave, how do we conclude work comp cases in Alabama? How do they bring to a resolution? Yeah. Um, so a work comp case, if you, uh, well, let's, most cases are resolved through settlement. So if it is settled, uh, the work comp case has to be approved one of two ways, either by an ombudsman with the Alabama Department of Labor or through uh, approval through a circuit court judge. Um, a case can also be finalized through a trial um, where you go and try the case with the circuit court judge and the judge will enter an order determining what the benefits are for the uh, injured worker. So, but most cases end in settlement, and most of them are approved by the Alabama Department of Labor Ombudsman Program. And George, our case is the circuit court level. That's also a jury level, but not by a jury or our cases. It's just with the judge. And we don't have dedicated judges who just hear work comp. They may, depending on the county, they may hear everything, but what is consistent throughout the counties, throughout the state, is it's the circuit court level you'll have a hearing in front of the judge. Yeah, in Virginia, we have a workers' compensation commission that uh, has three commissioners, and then there's probably 25 deputy commissioners that actually hear the cases. The three commissioners hear the reviews, the, uh, the appeal, and um, I would say the only way to really terminate conclude a claim is either to lose it or to settle it because otherwise it just kind of sits there might be dormant uh but it's still an open claim so yeah interesting all right fellas this leads us to our last topic of our our hour in the last two years obviously the world has changed the work comp world has changed our practices have changed what has not changed is the fact that we're still representing injured workers, people who get hurt on the job. I'll start with you, George. With multiple offices and attorneys around the state, you guys have a, a vast um, practice in Virginia, but I know that the main focus is injury by in, injured workers. Right. In the last, say, 60, 90, 120 days, what are the most pressing type of matters, cases, injuries are you seeing come across your desk as new clients potentially? 
I, I would definitely say the, um, the COVID cases there, um, as of July 1 of last year, we had uh, the General Assembly uh, passed a presumption saying that if you're a healthcare worker or a uh, law enforcement officer and you get COVID, it's presumed to have been uh, work-related. And so we had to sit on these cases, you know, for a year and a half uh, for that presumption to be passed and everything. And so, you know, it takes several months to, once you start filing claims for these cases, for them to get into litigation and everything. And really right now, um, I, I just, my depositions and everything has just increased exponentially over since March of 2020, you know, when everything shut down. And um, I told somebody I hadn't been this busy since I was a first year associate. So, which is a good thing, but it takes away from my uh, golf game. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. Dave, what about for you in the last six months or, or so? Are you seeing a, a certain type of case or more of one particular type of case that you're dealing with these days? Um, unlike George, I'm not seeing COVID cases. Um, we're, we're, we're not, we have a different setup, George. We don't have the presumption. So right. we're not getting COVID calls. Um, what I've seen, I guess, more recently, 60, 90 days is, uh, people who have gotten hurt at work, but are having trouble just getting medical treatment from their right. employer. Just, yeah. just employers, supervisors, ignoring them, uh, insurance companies delaying treatment. And, and, and I know that is somewhat normal. We're, we're used to that, right? As work comp practitioners and doing what we do, but it seems to be an uptick of it. It just seemed, and these are not people with, with, with uh, rotator cuffs or blown out herniated discs. They're, these are not terribly serious injuries, but they're people that need medical treatment yeah, to right. get diagnostics. And they're just getting the run around. So I'm getting a lot of calls about that. How do I get medical treatment? What do I need to do? I'm calling. What's the next step? So I'm getting a lot of those calls. We've seen um, an uptick in voluntary payments uh, and coverage of medical and compensation for six months. And then the, the adjuster just goes ghost, you know, just stops answering calls, doesn't send any more checks, doesn't authorize any more treatment. And a lot of it is uh, with Sedgwick. I don't know if y'all have to deal with them. Yeah. But they, they are the big boy on the block right now. And um, it's, you know, I don't know if, well, it's gotta be a conscious decision that, Hey, you know, somebody set it in motion. This is what we're going to do. If you're don't enter into an agreement, uh, and if it's still ongoing in, uh, six months, just shut it down. I'm, I'm getting in my Sedgwick cases, we don't have enough adjusters. They're all quitting. So we're doubling up our work. It's making it hard, blah, 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 blah. You're not getting the response from the adjusters, the claims reps, anywhere close to timely. So what it's going to do, it's going to force us to file more lawsuits. Right. 
and get it out of the adjuster's hands and hopefully to a insurance attorney who probably is appreciative for the litigation to handle. But the other type of case that I've seen most recently is the employer giving the injured worker, recently injured worker, a much, much more difficult time about getting back to work as quickly as possible. Go tell your doctor you need to come back and not have X, Y, and Z restriction. And the reason they're being told is we don't have enough workers. We need you back. And it just, I don't know, that's just what I'm seeing is the employers being less and less tolerant of their injured workers um, being out and being paid comp and they shouldn't be at work. So I didn't know if you guys had seen that as well. That just seems to be a sure. on my Yeah, day. I see that. Well, guys, we have reached the end of our our almost hour, 40 odd minutes. It's, uh, it, I, I truly enjoy these conversations. We're talking about timely topics that are making the news. But before we get out of here, as I always do, I want George and Dave to have some final words. I did post the link to the WILG organization website. So if any lawyers who are interested, who do our kind of work and may be interested, you can click on the, the website there and, and take a look around. George, I'll ask you, is there any other way for a potential new member to reach out or to get in touch with the right people to see if it's right for their practice, regardless of where they are in the United States or, or even outside the United States? Sure, so we have um, membership dinners uh, around the country where a group of uh, Willig members will meet like in Chicago and each will bring one or two non-members that practice workers comp representing injured workers to there. And we'll have one of our vendors uh, like Amitros there and everything too. And so uh, we've got one coming up in April uh, in DC that's going to hopefully draw people from Maryland and Virginia and Delaware. Uh, and so that's coming as part of our Cherry Blossom uh, conference. And Dave, those, those dinners are a lot of fun. We just had a great one a couple of months ago in Birmingham. Yeah, we sure did. We hosted one in Birmingham. It was a lot of fun. I've been to the ones in Atlanta a couple of times and uh, it's nice to get together with those folks. Uh, I'll mention something else. Uh, for, for people for who are uh, uh, first-time attendees uh, who are just joining uh, WILG and they're going to attend the, uh, the, the annual convention, and I think this year it's in Arizona at the end of September, um, there's actually a scholarship uh, for, uh, uh, for, is it first-time attendees, George? Yes, yes first, it is. First-time first attendees, um, and I think there's some requirements, but uh, I think you have to be under the age of 45 and, and meet some other requirements. Uh, but you could attend this 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 annual conference, uh, and and your 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 registration is 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 covered. Your your flights covered. Your uh, your hotel stay is covered. So uh, the conferences alone are great, but if you attend on scholarship, it makes the conference even much more enjoyable. So. If you're new to the new to the organization and you're you're scared about going or the cost looks prohibitive, don't be. You can apply for the scholar the scholarship to attend, and 
it's a great way to get, get to know people from around the country. Thank you for bringing that. I was going to say, you've got some of the best legal minds around the country just sharing their practice tips, their insights. Plus, David and me will be there. So that's another incentive sure. I hope for most. But, George, I'll give you the final word, bud, before we call it a day. What is it about Will that just has enhanced your practice? It is uh, a great source of referrals. Mm -hmm. um, it is a great resource uh, for information. Um, it is not only through the, uh, the actual letter of the law, but also the practice of law and running a law firm, you know, there's a lot of guidance that's provided through Willick. And that's, and just as you said, the knowledge of the people, of the membership, you know, getting to know these other lawyers and, you know, how did you handle this? And what should I do if this happens? And it's just remarkable. And um, on a lighter note, I kind of echo what David was mentioning, our conventions and our regional conferences, they're at really cool places <laughs> really? That, that many of us would never have an opportunity to go you know, yeah. for such a low rate and very cool places. So if you just like to travel, this is your, this is your organization. And fellowship and friendships yeah. galore. So George, thank you for what you're doing for the organization. Thank you for being here today, keeping Dave on the straight and narrow in our, our hour long work comp today. Guys, thank you again. We'll be back next month, different guests, probably similar topics, but you know who didn't get mentioned this time, Dave? Maybe the first time in about two years. Oh, yeah. Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Signing off, 